It's the Adam Ragusea Podcast, episode 30. The pod was going to be 29 for at least 10 more episodes, but we talked to it, we convinced it to age gracefully, so here we are on episode 30 with my lovely wife, Lauren, coming along this time. Hello. We're going to talk today about supplementation versus eating actual food and whether one is clearly better than the other, especially when it comes to people who don't eat certain foods like vegans. If you don't eat vegans, you'll want to stick around for that, but first we'll... uh, (laughs) have a health question about drinking. Ask Adam. Hey, Adam. Uh, I'm uh, Mitchell. Uh, I'm 32. Uh, I live in Vancouver, Canada, uh, BC. Uh, I have a question about drinking. If I want to drink to get to that that level of drunk, I'm I'm a fairly big guy, I guess, right? So it takes takes a fair bit i don't one or two you know you get a buzz but it's not the not the same i suppose (laughs) um if i want to get to that level what's the healthiest way to do it i guess should would liquor be better because i would have to drink less i'd get less carbs less sugars or something like that it's so nice to see a young man from canada thinking about his health you know, really, <laughs> really doing some me time and some personal care, right? It's, I, it would, would have never occurred to me that if my goal was to get drunk, I would also be counting carbs. <laughs> well, but, but good on you for thinking Good of it. <laughs> on you. Exactly. So there's some ways in which there's a really straightforward answer to this question. And there's some like less straightforward. What's the opposite of a straightforward answer? Meandering? Meandering. Okay, well, that's sort of what we do here on the Adam Ragusea <laughs> yeah. podcast. I don't know if you know. You probably don't listen to this Stay program. Stay tuned for um, part two of our Midnight's conversation. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> She's a Swifty, 40-year-old Swifty. Say it. First of all, I'm 39. Okay. Oh, how many years are you going to be 39? <laughs> well, for two more months. Two more months. One okay. more month in a week. <laughs> all right, there you go. For, so for 0.2 years. Okay. Um, all right, so... Yes, Mitchell, if you are trying to get a little buzz on and uh, do that in the healthiest way possible, and from the way that you describe it, it sounds like healthy to you means trying to minimize calories, glycemic load, all that kind of stuff, which makes sense. That's, I think, for for most of us living in the developed world, that's one of the things that we need to consider to try to live healthfully is to just eat fewer calories, right? We won't ask your liver what it thinks what healthy is. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get back to the liver in a second, but let's just kind of focus on like on, on calories, okay? Um, so first we have to remember that alcohol itself has calories. Alcohol, the scientists generally figure has seven calories per gram, which is considerably more actually than uh, proteins and carbs, which is usually four calories per gram. And a little less than fats, which are generally like nine calories per gram, kind of makes sense because alcohol ethanol is actually really similar molecularly to to fat, um, which is one of the reasons why uh, alcohol can dissolve uh, fat and the other way around um, in in ways that like water can't. Um, So whole thing we go down there. But anywho, uh, we're we're unscripted today, by the way. We the people who are watching this on YouTube, uh, we've done a couple of unscripted me and Lauren podcasts just for the podcast feed lately, and people say that they really liked them, and so and then and a lot of people wrote in to say that they preferred that to when I 
when I write from, when I speak from highly prepared notes, which is what I'm much more comfortable doing. Um, and I don't like to listen to myself talk this way. But, but this it, is going to be really interesting because Adam knows all the science and I don't. Mm, so I have done research, right? Like I'm prepared. <laughs> this is not just going to be like a, th- a thing where I'm, we're just gabbing. Like I've prepared my answers here. Hopefully this won't appear like Adam Ragusea presents Mansplain. <laughs> ah, yes. We'll try to avoid that. Hey, oh. buddy. What's up? Uh, no, you cannot come down right now. <laughs> when we're done, you can come down and play, okay? okay. All right, so wait upstairs until we're done, okay? okay? Thanks, buddy. So alcohol itself is an energy source, which is why you can run a car on it, right? Um, it has calories. Now, whether those calories are actually metabolized by your body as energy is kind of an interesting and somewhat open scientific question. I mean, to a certain extent, they definitely are, but apparently not everybody is equally able to metabolize ethanol calories as energy and and thereby eventually potentially fat storage. Um, you know, like I was just talking to a, a, a scientist the other day who happened to be of, of East Asian descent. And he, he was mentioning how, you know, Asians are kind of known for when they drink, um, smelling a lot of alcohol. And that's an indication that they're actually, there's some, some gene in that gene pool that makes it less easy for the bodies of people of East Asian descent to metabolize booze into energy. And so it ends up coming out in other ways. You breathe, you breathe it out, excrete it out of their skin, maybe not the ethanol itself, but kind of closely related things that, you know, metabolites of it, uh, all kinds of things. Um, so it's, that's not a thing that is fully explored by science yet. We don't actually know exactly how many of the grams of alcohol that you consume end up converting into calories of, of energy and then potentially eventually adipose tissue storage. If you don't use all of that energy in your very, very busy, physically active night of drinking, right? (laughs) If you're on the dance floor, it's going to be good for you. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Gosh, I remember, you know, this, this is a funny thing because um, like alcohol is arguably like the original performance enhancing drug. <laughs> well, yeah, because um, isn't, don't the guys on the Tour de France, they drink beers at night. They do. And they do that more for like carbo loading, which is oh. is something that was, was under, came to be understood in the mid 20th century, um, carbo loading. But- early 20th century in the very beginning of the tour de France, the, the cyclists would drink alcohol because the alcohol, a dulls the burn in your legs, right? It dulls the pain and B it it is a highly concentrated energy source. And I remember one time when we lived in Indiana, I, I, I don't know. This may have been before I met you. Um, (laughs) But in the dark ages. In the dark ages, yes. I went drinking at, where was that place where we used to do karaoke, that dive bar outside of town? The Office Lounge. The Office Lounge. Yep. Wow, that place was a dump. No, it um, was great. And also- no, It was a great dump, yeah. We went there right before our wedding mm-hmm. with some friends, and you got up to do karaoke, and I had never seen you do karaoke before, so I didn't know how good you were. Oh, yeah, and he got to the mic and he said, this one goes out to that girl right there who's going to marry me in however many days. And then you launched into Neil Diamond's Love on the Rocks. <laughs> it's a good song. <laughs> and you performed it well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, anyway, anyway. <laughs> this is, I think, before we met. And I, I, had, I had had a lovely evening of libations at the office lounge. 
and I was pretty toasted and I needed to ride my bicycle back to my apartment, which was just like a tremendously inappropriate thing to do, right? Like the d- drunk- Is it, is yeah. it illegal? Well, yeah, sure. Potentially. <laughs> drunk riding is just as bad as drunk driving. Don't do it. I don't endorse. I don't feel proud of this moment of my life. But like I needed to ride my bicycle home. And in order to get home, you go up this really, really big hill on, was that Third Street by mm-hmm. the mall, right? You know, this really long, 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 big hall uh, climb to get home. And I just remember flying up that hill. <laughs> like I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like I could go for like five more miles up this hill. I feel absolutely nothing in my legs. It's great, Yikes. you know? <laughs> um, so, so anyway, drinking healthfully. Um, so you have to consider the calories of the alcohol itself when you're trying to work out this equation. But then we got to think about, I suppose actually there's, I don't even know why I discussed that just now. Because like you're going to have the alcohol no matter what. The alcohol is the point, right? Yeah, so, he's asking, should he have liquor or beer? Liquor or beer or wine. Or wine okay, um, never mix, never worry. That's that's actually not true, but anyways. Um, <laughs> so, uh, cl- ugh, wine uh, is is a pretty standard product unless you get one of these like new like you know diet wines, athletic wines, which whatever. Why would you do Why that? Why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. Um, so wine is generally going to be at 120 calories for a standard glass. Okay. Um, beer, I really can't tell you because beer is a far more variable product, uh, especially in aspects that would affect its caloric content. So you're talking about anything from like maybe 50 calories in like a light, you know, Bud Light or something like that, all the way up to maybe 300 calories in some you know, like a, like a, 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 Guinness or something. Yeah. Like a Guinness, like a, a, a Scottish style or Irish style stout. That's like really, really, um, for almost, a moment there, all of I- Ireland reared up. Yes, when I, you know, I know. I know. I know. I, 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 I understand. But the thing is the Scots have similar beer yeah, styles, Scottish which ales, is, yeah, very exactly. Thick. Very thick. Yeah, like the ones that are almost like drinking oatmeal or like eating a loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Uh, you're talking about a whole lot of extra, just carbs in there. Um, whether those carbs occur as starch or sugar doesn't really matter that much. So don't worry about that. Don't be thinking like, oh, this beer is sweet. Therefore, it's really going to hit my blood sugar and that's bad. Um, I have bad news for you, which is that starch is really just as bad as sugar because starch is so readily broken down into glucose by your body. It's the, 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 it's, it's glycemic index is virtually identical, right? So it doesn't really, really matter. What matter? Like if it's like feels thick and bready and, you know, it's somewhere between a drink and a porridge, like that's a lot of calories in that beer. And I love beers like that, like in the wintertime, but you know, you don't want to hit those too hard. Right. So, um, the, the other thing to consider maybe is that, um, wine is arguably healthy in a way that beer is not which is the antioxidants, right? It's good for your heart. Yes. Yeah. Just like that dad who's like, you know, well, I always have, I have one glass of red wine with dinner every night, you know, for the antioxidants, <laughs> sure. For the antioxidants, dad, <laughs> not to make the rest of us tolerable. <laughs> that's bleak. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but it's true. Like, that's actually like, a, I mean, a documented thing. Um, red wine in particular, it's the thing, it's the stuff that makes it purple is what is an antioxidant. And, oh boy, we have to do a whole episode about whether or not antioxidants are actually good for you because that's not a totally scientifically settled topic, but it's generally presumed uh, that antioxidants 
are probably good for you. And red wine has them. Whereas like, I can't think of anything that's really redeeming in a glass of beer, right? There might be, I, there might be some things in the hops that could be good for you. I, I'm actually, you know what? I bet there are antioxidants in hops, come to think of it. So I take this back. This requires further investigation. But it seems like you should just take all of this and set it aside. And if the goal is to get drunk quickly with no calories or low calories, I mean, like, take a page out of the college freshman handbook and just drink Everclear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Everclear is not legal in every state in the United States. Is that true? That's true. And I don't know if it's – it wasn't legal in Georgia. Um, Really? And I don't – yeah. Oh, it was legal in Indiana. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was able to – because I was able to get it uh, in Tennessee for a video. I needed, like, Mm. pure ethanol for a video. And uh, and well, I was, you can show moonshine here now. It's, yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, I was amazed to see it in the store, and I was. Like, but anyway, uh, Mitchell is in Canada, and I don't know what the status of Everclear is in Canada. Everclear, for people who don't know, is grain alcohol. Yeah, like it's like uh, it's one ninety proof, I believe it is. So that means it's ninety five percent ethanol, five percent water. For for really complex chemical reasons, you can never get all of the water out of ethanol. But this is just about all of the water out as you can get, and it is just and it's wow. cheap. And disgusting. <laughs> it's, well, you, you can mix it with things that taste good or... Um, like big trash cans full of red fruit punch. <laughs> Ask you? me how I know. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they were really glad to see you show up at that party, honey. Only one time. <laughs> one time. <laughs> so, um, well, I think there's another... There's a better lesson that... Um, that that Mitchell could draw from the collegiate the collegiate experience, right? Okay. Um, which is that of pre gaming. Okay. Um, oh, pre game calories don't matter. They don't count. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, ra- so rather than pre game, so pre gaming, uh, you know, in in the colli- in the collegiate environment, generally refers to drinking alcohol at home because you can buy alcohol more cheaply retail than you can at a bar. Mm -hmm. So you have a few drinks that you bought more cheaply from a liquor store at home, and then you go out to the bar to socialize where drinks are a lot more expensive, but you don't need to buy as many drinks there because you've already already gotten your evening started, right? Um, So when I say pregame now, what I mean is drink before you eat, okay? Drink before you eat. Uh, a you know, Mitchell like you, I, I'm I'm a bigger guy. I I weigh 200 pounds, and you know I'm somewhat desensitized to alcohol at this point. And you know when we have wine with dinner, for me to feel anything, I have to drink the the entire content of the bottle that you don't drink. And I drink a glass. She's little. She's a bird, <laughs> right? She's a little baby bird. Oh, and. <laughs> And so, like, for me to get anything at all, I have to drink the rest of the bottle if we're having it with dinner. But if I drink before dinner, then, like, one strong drink is enough for me to have a very pleasant buzz on, right? Super, super nice, does not and – it's, and it's great. Why? Because intoxication happens when your body is not able to metabolize the alcohol fast enough. We can – a, a normal adult male is typically able to metabolize, what is it, 10 grams of alcohol an hour? Something like that. Basically, the amount that is in a drink, 
one kind of standard drink, one, one ounce of a, of a, of liquor, um, is how they would define it in the United States. Um, and that's part of the reason that it's sort of calibrated like that is because that's the amount that your body can handle in a given hour, um, with all else being equal, right? Your body can kind of break it down and eliminate it, and that's fine. It's when you start to exceed that rate that you, the alcohol kind of backs up in your system and goes up into your brain and does a whole bunch of really funny stuff up there. So um, when you dilute the alcohol in a, in a bunch of food in your stomach, what you're doing is you're basically slowing the rate at which it's actually going to be absorbed into your system. Um, and, and, and this is when like pedants in the comments will point out that like, alcohol actually can be absorbed somewhat directly through the, the lining of your stomach. Um, but that's, that's not the whole story. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's absorbed in lots of places down through the whole system. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, if you have the alcohol with, with food, if you dilute it with a bunch of food, you're just going to slow that whole process down and you're not going to get intoxicated. So if your goal is intoxication, which it is Mitchell, and your goal is to do that in as few calories as possible. Yes. I would suggest drinking hard liquor. Like my, my drink of choice these days is scotch and soda and plain soda water. No, 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 you know, sugar in it at all. Um, and, and like all of the scotch drinkers are horrified right now because I'm diluting their glorious product. Um, but like, I like to, I really enjoy the taste of it and I like to sort of sip actively. And if I sip actively on straight scotch, like <laughs> it would be a problem. <laughs> it would be a problem around the house. You know, I just, Weird things would start happening, right? I feel like this whole segment needs a trigger warning because the conclusion we've come to is like, hey, drink Everclear on an empty stomach. That's good for you. And it's not. I feel like <laughs> I think our audience is smart is is smart enough and that they can handle it, all right? Or, you know, um, I hope that if people who maybe are not alcohol drinkers for whatever reason understand that this is a sure. specific instance and just fast forward. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we got into it slowly okay. enough that that okay, was that's, okay. you don't have to say trigger warning for it to be a trigger warning, right? Mm. We we made it very clear at many steps. All right. So anyways, <laughs> uh, so, so I would suggest drinking kind of hard liquor with like zero cal mix-ins um, and do that before you eat. And you will need way less of it in order to get the the psychological effects that you so desire. That is, I'm sure, the correct answer from like a biochemistry standpoint. I don't know if that's the correct answer from a psychology standpoint or a human behavior standpoint. And this is like the problem that – a mistake that scientists make frequently is that like they kind of stay within their, their little um, silo and they figure out an answer that is correct within the confines of their field, but they forget that like – the, the universe is not limited to their field, right? So, so what I mean, what I mean in this case is that if you follow my advice, if you drink before you eat, might the n sort of knock-on effect of that be that you walk into dinner totally disinhibited? You eat a ton and order more drinks, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. But can I also say that I feel like if you're Reaching intoxication an appropriate amount over the span of, say, your week or your month mm -hmm. in a way that won't be detrimental to your health overall, you know, you're like, it's the weekend and I'm going to have a fun night, then have your fun night and drink what you want to drink and have a good time and just know that, like, I'm going to have a good time and when I – later on in the week, I'm just going to eat a little better. But, like, 
an extra drink is not going to hurt you. Well, I mean, I might caveat, but (laughs) (laughs) that's my best advice on how to drink smartly. If you're in the business of hiring people and you need to hire smartly, well, then you need Indeed, sponsor of this episode. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. No reason to spend hours toggling between multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Maybe you hate waiting, or maybe maybe you've got some ambitious hiring goals that you have to meet, like in this last quarter of the year that we're in here. Well, Indeed's U.S. data shows more than 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. One thing that I like about Indeed is that applicants can take any of the more than 135 graded assessment tests that Indeed offers, tests covering skills from cooking to coding. A job seeker doesn't just have to convince you with you know words and fancy degrees that they, they have a skill. They can show you how good they are at the skill just by taking the test, and that allows star applicants to shine, and you're going to be able to see them and snatch them up. Indeed assessments help take the stress out of the interview process as well. Candidates get to show their skills before the interview so that you can then dive deeper into talking about what's important to you. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at Indeed.com slash Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash Indeed.com slash Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we now need to consider the arguably flawed premise implicit in Mitch from Canada's question. He presumes that alcohol is bad for you, and that might not necessarily be true. Have you heard, honey, about the studies that say that, like, light drinkers live longer? No. I have heard that drinking red wine is good for your heart. Mm-hmm. Um... Basically, I've heard there's a study that says everything helps you live longer, so. And that everything will kill you. Coffee drinkers live longer, but also they die quicker. <laughs> no, actually, that one's pretty consistent. Coffee, coffee drinkers Did live longer. Did you see the new study that said that, sorry, um, digression. Uh, the new study that said they've discovered that the um, information that carb, uh, caffeinated beverages mm-hmm. are not hydrating is flawed. Yes, which that is explains true. how I made it all through college drinking only fountain sodas from the dining hall, and I didn't die. I was hydrated. It was fine. It's a little more complicated than that, but yes, as, um, as all things are. Sure, exactly. <laughs> but I was excited. <laughs> Alcohol, on the other hand, is definitely a diuretic, so yes. keep that in mind. But it is true, one hundred percent true, that there are many, many, many studies that show that. Light drinkers, or sometimes they might be called like social drinkers, live longer than every other group of people, meaning they live a little longer than people who don't drink at all, abstainers, um, which is the kind of weird part, right? And then there's the like totally predictable part, which is that light drinkers drinkers live longer than heavy drinkers, right? Yikes. Because if you, and light is usually in these studies considered to be about a drink a day 
on average, right? M- maybe a drink or two um, a day on average. And let's let's go ahead and like clarify that that doesn't mean drinking one glass of alcohol a day. That could mean drinking three to four drinks one twice a week. Oh, yeah, th- that's three. A lot. Well, three to four on one day, and then four on one day, three on the other day, and that's 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 seven. Okay. Do that. You can do that twice a, twice a week. Right, huh, okay. which it, which it sounds like that's the kind of thing Mitch in Canada likes to do. Uh, it's the kind of thing I like to do. I mean, that's 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 generally what I how I handle it. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's that. Lots of studies find that that those people tend to live longer than everyone else. Once you go above that point, once you start talking about like an average of three or four drinks a day, um, chance of cardiovascular disease increases significantly, like a lot. And then once you go way past that, you know, then that's when you start like melting your liver. Um, <laughs> Yikes! Which or, or gastric cancer is another one. Uh, when very heavy drinkers, all kinds of gosh, really bad things happen to you when you're an extremely heavy drinker. But you're not supposed to pickle your insides. No, 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 no. Don't. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's kind of one of the reasons why alcohol is really bad for you. Mm. Like, because it 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 just it disrupts cell membranes. It kills, it causes cell death, and that's what makes alcohol so good for preserving food, right? Because it it'll it'll kill bacteria and such, but it will also do that to your insides um, in sufficient concentration and quantity and with enough repetition, right? So a lot of alcohol is definitely bad for you. What's weird is the finding that light drinkers are tend to live a little longer than abstainers. And that's not just one study. That's like study after study after study after study finds that to be the case. So why might that be true? No one knows, but there are hypotheses. What do you, do you have a guess? Um, maybe because a little bit of alcohol destroys some of the bad stuff that's in your body. Oh, oh wow! I wasn't expecting that one. Oh, yeah. Isn't that's like that's like when President Trump said that we could kill COVID by injecting Clorox bleach into our. Okay, veins. it's not the same at all. <laughs> it's not the. No, <laughs> I don't know because everyone's always talking about like your microbiome and your gut yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then maybe you got some like bad bugs in your tummy. Yeah, <laughs> and you have some alcohol and it cleans them. Away. That's not a terrible thought, and I I kind of sus- call me science. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> the thing. I wonder if that actually m- may be true in diets in less developed countries, right? Oh, where like food contamination might be? Yeah, yeah, is a bigger problem. And I don't, I'm not aware of any research that has looked at that specifically. So graduate student out Mm -hmm. there, there's another free idea for you. This is why scientists should talk to non-science people because sometimes we think outside the box. So far outside the box. I was a history major. I know nothing about science. So what what is the reason then? Well, no one knows, but here are some potentials. All right. Okay. So one is that um, people who are social drinkers are social, and oh. that when you do the kinds of things that people who have friends do, 
that's an indication that you have friends and having friends is really good for your health. That's right. Being married is good for your health or being in committed long-term relationships is good for your health, right? Because it provides a social structure that uh, pushes you to do things that are good for you, like go to the doctor. Sure. Get out of the house. Yeah. Breathe fresh air. Move around. Do things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and not be depressed and alone. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's definitely like a roundabout way of thinking of it. Well, me, I, I went straight for the like, let's nuke all the bacteria in your tummy. But <laughs> well, because you were just trying, you were trying, you were looking for a causal link, uh, but not all correlation is causation, right? Um, yes. So in this case, if that's true, if in if that's true then what that means is that alcohol probably actually is bad for you in any amount. It's just that um, it's not as bad for you. Like one drink a day on average is not as bad for you as having no social life is bad for you. I would like to state here for the record that I am skeptical that drinkers automatically have better social lives than non-drinkers. Well, no, of course Especially not. if you think of all the abstainers who abstain for religious reasons and are part of a huge religious community. Sure. So I don't know if I buy that, but interesting. Yes, but A, remember we're talking in aggregate. We're not talking about individuals. Mm -hmm. B, um, it's also important to remember that most of these studies, just like most studies, are of Westerners, right? Because mm -hmm. that's where the money is, and therefore that's where the science is. Most medical science, most, most all of science is done in the West, secondarily in East Asia, which is in a number of ways the same place these days. Um there's not as much science that comes from, say, the Islamic world. It's coming up for sure. Like, it's coming. But it's not there yet. Um, and, and one thing that's interesting about the Islamic world in particular is that there you have a place where alcohol is very much religiously and culturally forbidden. But like most cultures that forbid alcohol, they do allow another drug. There is a drug that is 100% socially accepted across the Islamic world, and that is... Opium? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I guess. Caffeine, baby. Oh. Yeah. Think about all the, the tea. Think about like oh, yeah. Pakistanis in their tea. So think then... about the Turks and their coffee. They're freaking like motor oil sludge yeah. of coffee, you know? Uh, yeah, no, that's, they, they <laughs> can't drink, <laughs> nice, nice. They can't drink booze, Sorry. so they drink tons and tons of caffeine. And don't kid yourself, caffeine is a psychoactive drug. Well, so I was thinking about Mormons in the U.S. As one I, does. <laughs> well, because they don't do alcohol or caffeine. Or caffeine. They're the, and they're the weird one in this way. But, yeah. but they do tons and tons of sugar. sugar. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this is another yeah. theory, or okay. hypothesis rather, as to why social drinkers might seem to live longer, at least in studies done in the West, is that... Um, those people in the West who do not drink alcohol m might have where, where alcohol is totally tolerated and, and it's, it's not just tolerated. It's, it's, it's part of our, like Italy. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of our yeah. religion, our, 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 our secular religion and even our, our religion, religion in the case of Catholicism, right? Social cultural fabric. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Like, so, so if you're looking at studies done in the West and a person is totally abstaining from alcohol, that's an indication 
that they might actually have some other vice that they do instead. And one of those vices might be sugar, right? Mm -hmm. So for people outside of the United States who not, are not familiar with, with Mormonism, Mormonism is this absolutely fascinating um, uh, Christianity branch um, that found itself in this kind of apostate status in the United States in the 19th century. And a lot of them fled out West um, to the great American West, to Utah most uh, centrally, uh, which was you know, hardly popular populated at all at the time, even by indigenous people. I mean, there were some indigenous people, but not a lot, right? Um, and so they've been able to maintain this like really, really interesting and really kind of coherent um, subculture out there for uh, you know decade after decade after decade. And that includes abstaining from not only alcohol and drugs, but also caffeine. And so in Mormon communities, what you have is this unbelievable sugar culture so to, there, if you go out to um, Salt Lake or Provo, um, soda shops, like literal soda shops where you can get sodas that are mixed with like coconut cream or, you know, heavy cream, or they make all these different caffeine-free sodas yeah. and then crumble cookies, those giant, huge sugar bombs. Yeah. I look at these these like Mormon sodas and milkshakes and stuff, and it just... I just have to go to the bathroom. Like I, I, I'm like, how does this not completely wreck you, right? So m maybe some of the people who are abstaining die sooner because they're they're eating a horrible diet in order to get their yayas uh, because they can't get them through caffeine or or alcohol. In the case of Mormons, um, the problem with that hypothesis is that I don't know if you've ever been to Utah. Or Colorado, or you know, places where there's lots of Mormons. Like you're talking about, like these are like the fittest places in the United States, right? Um, really, really fit, lean people. Um, the Mormons generally are, right? And so, yeah, that that probably ain't it. <laughs> here's thing. Here's another thing that it might be. Okay, it's called the abstainer bias, and this is something that was only relatively recently. Can I um, guess what this is? Go ahead. Okay, so the abstainer bias is where somebody who abstains – I lost it. I had it and it went oh, – oh, damn it. Oh, it was right there. So close. Is, this, is it about self-reporting, the bias of self-reporting? No. Okay, okay. What's a reason somebody might fully abstain from alcohol? We've talked about religion. Because – What's another one? Because they had a problem with alcohol and now they abstain Nailed completely. it. Okay. See, all right, all right. She's a smarty. She's a smarty. This one, yes, yes. When researchers ask you whether or not you drink alcohol, a lot of the people who say absolutely no, not one drop, not at all, are people who don't drink at all because they had a really big problem with it earlier mm -hmm. in their lives. And those decades of heavy drinking that led them to abstain did permanent damage to their body that is going to shorten their lifespan. It's the same reason why when you go to the doctor, they ask if you've ever smoked, not if you do smoke. Do smoke. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And when I was reading through the scientific literature on this, like that, that particular that particular abstainer bias was only relatively recently identified. And now newer studies on that topic are taking it into account. Oh, so they're like sorting out, yeah. are you an alcoholic exactly. in recovery? Okay. 
push you over there. Precisely. And we'll just look at the Mormons. Yep. <laughs> so there you go. And then, you know, so there's some other hypotheses like, you know, m- mild drinking can actually have positive psychological effects, can help you manage stress and enjoy life a little bit more. And that's all correlated with living longer, you know. Uh, but in general, people don't know. People don't know. That said, no amount of drinking or not drinking will allow you to live forever. We're all getting older all the time, me especially, it feels like. We're the same age. (laughs) I'm a little older. We were born in the same year. I am increasingly aware that I'm no longer a kid within my extended family. I have become one of the patriarchs, which is terrifying. I'm now one of the people in charge within the family. My folks are, they're leaning back into their retirement, God bless them. They cannot be the keeper of the family knowledge and lore and genealogy forever. That's going to fall to me soon. And that's why I have been using MyHeritage, sponsor of this episode. MyHeritage is the leading global service for family history research and DNA testing. You can do both with one service. It is uh, trusted by 90 million users all over the place, makes researching and building your family tree really fun and easy and gives you access to all kinds of powerful research tools, 18 billion easily searchable historical records, plus advanced artificial intelligence technologies for fixing up the historical photos that you find, to say nothing of all the the DNA testing stuff that you can do with MyHeritage. I went into MyHeritage, I gave them the names of my parents, and then I just clicked on Instant Discoveries, which is exactly Exactly what it sounds like. Immediately, I was looking at dozens and dozens of distant relatives I never knew existed. And I have been fascinated to learn more about the non-Italian side of my family. My mom's side, which I don't talk about as much because I don't, I don't feel as connected to it on, on an ethnic level. I, fe- I feel very Italian-American. I was raised very Italian-American, but my other half is mostly German. That's a hell of a combination, one might say. <laughs> That's a deep reference that almost no one is going to get. Anyway, my heritage took me all the way back to my great, 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 great grandfather, Johannes Valentine Fuchs Jr., who lived in the 18th century in a tiny German town called Eiseltum. Eiseltum. Eiseltum? I'm going to guess Eiseltum. Let's go with Eiseltum. Send us um, pronouncers no, don't. German people. Don't. <laughs> Germany, of course, didn't exist yet back then, so we're talking about the Rhineland Palatinate. And this is hardly surprising, given that lots of people from the Rhineland fled to America in the 18th and 19th centuries. You had lots of Catholic v. Protestant wars and other things happening there, and people would want to flee, and a lot of people from the Rhineland came to America around then. Lots of them uh, became known as the Pennsylvania Dutch who invented a bunch of tasty food. Speaking of which, honey, I uh, time out on the ad for a second here. I mentioned Pennsylvania Dutch in a, in a video once and all of the Germans in the comments freaked out because they thought that I was making a mistake because they were like, ha ha, he's saying Dutch, he means Deutsch because oh, Dutch is a person from yeah. the Netherlands in modern language, yes. whereas Deutsch is, means German. And they all were calling me a rube, but here... Oh, oh, oh. The American was right. The American was right. Yes. It's in this context, Dutch is an anglicization of Deutsch. And there is this like deeply rooted, amazing culture in Mm. Pennsylvania. And and it actually goes into Ohio, which is where my mom's side of the family is from, of people who call themselves Pennsylvania Dutch. 
and they are German. They are mm. Deutsch. Just the word Deutsch became Dutch in this context. So anyway, you dumb, not me dumb. <laughs> this time. <laughs> this time. Anyway, my heritage, all the documentation and genetic analysis you could need to figure out who you are and where you came from. Sign up for a 14-day free trial and enjoy all the amazing features of my heritage. If you decide to continue your subscription, click my link in the description or the show notes and you will get a 50% discount. 50% off my heritage with my link in the description. Thank you, my heritage. Now, speaking of Germany. Hi, Adam. This is my coming from Germany. The question I have uh, for you is about veganism. It's actually about food supplements. Like, I have been living vegan for about three years now. Great soup. Uh, you should try it out. And I've been supplementing since the very beginning of, the, of it all because I know that it is important and I did my research and I know that I should. The question I have for you is, is it biologically the same if I supplement with, for example, all my B vitamins, and if I intake them with food, does it change anything? And if it doesn't change anything, wouldn't a vegan diet with supplements not be equal, if not better? Because I think if I take my supplement pill every day, I probably have better intake of vitamins than a person that does not supplement and eat, for example, eggs and meat. If you could shed some light on that, I'd be very grateful. Okay, Mai, so... First of all, I want to say I love your style. The vibe, oh, yeah. The vibe is amazing. Vibe Fantastic. is killing it. For people who are only listening to the podcast here, you're missing Mai's vibe. You should go, like, queue up the YouTube just to check it out. Yes, mm -hmm. and that way I'll get two hits out of <laughs> your, your viewership, and we, we, we appreciate that. Um, so... The particular nutrient deficiencies that you worry about with veganism are, as you say, am I, mostly B vitamins, um, in which case, based upon all the research that I've looked at, it, it's not, it doesn't matter so much whether you're supplementing your B vitamins with food or not. The reason they're called B vitamins historically is that they... In the early days of research on this, in the late 19th, early 20th centuries, when people were, were first identifying vitamins, they, there, was a, there, was a, there, there was a two totally kind of different paths of research. One was into the water-soluble vitamins, and one was into the fat-soluble vitamins. And the fat-soluble vitamins, which is the first one that they discovered was vitamin A, which is why it's called A, <laughs> um, And that one dissolves in fat, can only be digested in the presence of fat. Like you have to have food, you have to have some fat with your A vitamins and your D vitamins uh, and your E and your K uh, in order to actually absorb those into your system. The, the reason that the B vitamins are under their own heading called B, and a B, B vitamin is not one thing. It's, it's like, it's like what, 12 now? Totally different things. Um, but what they have in common is that they, they're all water soluble. And so if you drink, you know, a pill with water in theory, you should be able to break that pill down and your body should be able to absorb it in the presence of water in your intestine and you're going to be just fine. So in that sense, I, I, it probably doesn't matter when you take your B vitamin pill, assuming you're taking a pill, um, vegans might also just be deficient in, in protein, you know, uh, probably not deficient in terms of like, are you getting your essential amino acids the, uh, such that you don't get a nutritional disease? 
But this is one of the things that's always frustrated me, honey. Whenever anyone asks me about like nutrition stuff, is that they'll they'll come in and they'll be like, oh ha 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 ha. You know, vegans actually, certain vegans love to say this. They'll be like, you don't need nearly as much protein as you think you do. Well, to survive or to thrive. To thrive, <laughs> like, and by thrive, of course, I mean build look muscle, jacked, right? Yeah. Which, as we all know, is what life is all about, right? If you want an absolute dump truck, mm. wasn't it one gram of protein per pound of body weight? Per pound of lean body weight. How uh, are you supposed to know which body weight is lean? Uh, calipers? It's not a really sure. dignified process. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, yeah, okay. Um, hey, so uh, to, if I can promote something, uh, there is a, a collab, a very exciting collab coming on the podcast um, which is one of the reasons I'm traveling to Michigan next week, where we're, we will be going deep with a certain fella, uh, calls himself a doctor. We'll find out what kind of doctor he really is, but you might, you may know him from YouTube and we're going to find out all about protein quantity and protein timing and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, um, yes, you don't need that many essential amino acids in order to not die or get a nutritional disease, but you do need a lot of protein if you want to be strong and active and all of that kind of stuff. Is and that why there aren't too many vegan bodybuilders? Yeah, probably. <laughs> there's, um, there's maybe some. Maybe some, right? Can I ask a fat-soluble vitamin question? Sure. Okay, so when they say like with your D vitamins, you're supposed to take it with food yes. so that it absorbs. What are we talking about here? Like a full meal? Can I just have like a little bite of something and take my D vitamin? Also keep in mind that I'm a child and I have gummy D vitamins. Oh, gummies. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, the vegans aren't going to like that. No. Gelatin. They're, they're not vegan. Although actually, well, no, there are, you can get they're, vegan vitamins yes. that are made with um, agar agar. Yes. Call me agar. These are um, not. Yeah. <laughs> these are not. They. These are delicious like candy. <laughs> so how much... Like, can I have a snack? Can I have a bite of something? Do I need to eat them with a meal? So I don't, I don't, I don't know. Great. I know, <laughs> I know that there are supplement makers that I think do good evidence-based work mm. in their field, which is why I have worked with some of them in the past, <laughs> um, who will give you like vitamin D supplements that come in the form of pills that also have, um, omega-3 fatty acids in them, which you need anyway. Mm -hmm. And then that also facilitates the absorption mm -hmm. of the vitamin D or like a tincture. Sometimes it'll, you know, it'll be sold as by companies that are not stupid and are actually mm -hmm. thinking about bioavailability. Um, so probably not a whole lot. It okay. definitely don't use this as an excuse to eat a whole basket of French fries. <laughs> Right. I guess what I'm asking is like, if I snag a French fry off the kid's plate and then eat my... I would guess that's not quite enough. Okay. All right. But that's just a guess. But you like a Snickers bar? and then <laughs> Yes. A Snickers bar will definitely do it. Okay. Yes. What but about a fun-sized Snickers bar? <laughs> I, I, I would guess a, a fun-sized Snickers would probably do it. Yes. All right. That, I'm adding that to my daily vitamin. <laughs> Thank you. You do, Adam Ragusea said I could. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Probably a good time to emphasize for anyone who's new to the program that I am not, not, a, doctor. not a doctor or a scientist <laughs> of any kind. I am a nerd who eats and reads a lot. <laughs> Anywho, um, 
So, you know, we talked, I did a video recently about creatine supplementation and the, you know, it's sort of this good thing. If you're trying to be stronger, it's that there's really almost no downside to it for most people. Um, and in researching that, I discovered something that I, that I did not know previously, but it's very well documented, which is that if you look at the blood, the, the muscle creatine levels in, in, um, non-meat eaters, so that would include people who eat dairy, by the way. You're not going to get much creatine out of dairy. So just vegetarians, people who don't eat animal flesh, right? If you look at the creatine level in their muscle and compare it to a meat eater, the difference between the meat eater and the non-meat eater is about the same as a creatine supplementer and a non-creatine supplementer who otherwise eats meat, right? Which is to say it's not a huge difference, but it's like it's a difference big enough to absolutely notice in the gym. Like when I first started supplementing creatine, I was like, holy crap, I'm all of a sudden I'm like... I'm 20% stronger. Like, uh, it's amazing, you know? Um, I, I also think that I probably responded to creatine more than the average person does. And so it was, it was just great for me, right? Um, so uh, all of this is to say that like, if you're a vegan, then yes, I think it might make sense to supplement creatine and protein also if you're trying to be stronger. Um, in which case, then yeah, I kind of think you'll probably be on equal footing with a non-vegan and arguably better footing given that the, the clear preponderance of the research is that saturated fat is way worse than you than unsaturated fat. And most people get most of their saturated fat from meat. Vegans tend to eat less saturated fat unless you're, you're just addicted to kind of like, you know, vegan replacements for non-vegan foods, which are generally going to be based on like palm kernel oil or coconut oil, these like naturally saturated fats. Um, you don't want to hit that stuff too hard because it's just as bad for you as the butter, um, potentially worse, you know, uh, according to, you know, some little bit of research. Um, that's, that's a topic for another day, but anyways, um, so yeah, I think you're, you're in good footing for me. I don't know. Should we do this? Is this too dangerous to talk about veganism and ethics now? Yes. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's dip our toes into it very gently. Okay. Did he ask about ethics? No, but it's, a, it obviously follows, right? No. He's asking nutritionally and you answer nutritionally. Okay, look, here's, here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say, okay? Um, if you're going to be supplementing protein and you're a vegan, I would encourage you to maybe think about, even though you're a vegan, drinking whey protein, some whey protein in addition to plant-based protein products that you might be hitting um, for a couple of reasons. One, Whey is by far the most studied kind of protein supplement. And so we kind of don't know how, how good like pea protein is compared to whey. Because, I mean, there, there is some research, but not a ton, okay? Secondly, um, if you're a vegan, uh, more in terms of thinking about it in terms of uh, sustainability rather than animal welfare, um, you know, I, I, I don't know because there's no research on this at all. But I would suspect that whey is more sustainable than plant-based protein supplements because the whey is going to exist whether they sell it to you or not. Because the whey is the byproduct of what industry? Dairy. Yes, the cheese industry, right? And they are going to make- Love them. <laughs> they are going to make cheese whether you buy their whey or not because she's going to eat it. Okay? Like- it's, but the carbon footprint of growing all the things that make, you know, peas to make pea protein or whatever it is, then yeah, that's the, not, w the water, the tractors, the yes. all of that. 
Yes. And in, for, as from what I can see, looking at vegan protein powders, which I've done, I don't think many of them are, some of them are using some byproduct from other industries, but mostly it's like, it's, you know, that's like stuff that they're growing specifically to make the protein powder. And no doubt its carbon footprint is much lower than the dairy industries is, but the dairy industry is going to, they're going to make the cheese no matter what, right? It's going to exist whether they sell it to you as a, as a muscle building supplement or not. And if they don't sell it to you as a muscle building supplement, they're going to sell it to the, to the livestock industry to incorporate an animal feed, which is where I think most of that way goes anyway. So I, I would consider hitting the way. Certainly it's been the case that like for me, cause like, remember when I used to gym it way more seriously than I even do now. And what, what would I eat? Gym chicken. Gym chicken. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which was this just was like way, this way was 15 back. years ago. <laughs> yeah, this is back when we had no responsibilities and I went to the gym all the time and I looked way better than I do now. Um, Disagree. Oh, oh, thank you, honey. <laughs> um, so I would do like what the bodybuilders all do, which is like buy tons and tons of cheap chicken and just or fish and just cook up giant messes of disgusting animal protein. And I was just, I was a one man chicken death squad, <laughs> oh, right? And that's, and that's with me, like being like, you know, natural, not taking any, you know, steroids or anything like that. And, you know, I, I think about like a professional bodybuilder, like, you know, how, how many on steroids and how many chickens has Big Rammy killed in his life, right? Like, Wow. So many chicken houses worth. So many, yes, full chicken you houses. You see those chicken trucks on the interstate? Many, many chicken right. trucks. And we eat meat. It's, I, I see no, I see no for me fatal flaw, uh, fatal moral flaw in eating some animals. But I think the scale at which we do it in order to produce chicken that's that cheap is inherently untenable from an animal welfare standpoint. And it's like, it's terrible for the environment. Like it's terrible for the environment. We all need to, if you're going to eat meat, you got to eat way less of it. That is the clear consensus opinion among experts who study food sustainability. Okay. You're going to find a YouTube video where a guy says, oh no, actually meat isn't bad for the environment. But like, who are you going to believe? You're going to believe a guy who made a YouTube video? Or are you going to believe Harvard? Like a guy who made a YouTube video. Well, no, I'm I, <laughs> I just pointing out the irony. <laughs> well, this is why I try to emphasize all the time that like, I, I, this is why I, 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 I transparently defer to expertise mm. all the time. And of people course, course. always, you know, people criticize me as saying it's a, it's an appeals to authority fallacy. Um, but that's not true. Like, <laughs> It's, it's just what it boils down to is that like, if you are a leading, if you are a leading scientific thinker on this topic, like you are, this is what you studied in school. This is, you are, you are at the top of this field and it is your learned opinion that actually meat isn't as bad for the environment as soy or whatever, then you have earned that opinion. But if you haven't, then you have no logical reason to believe that one outsider outlier scientific opinion over and above the clear consensus of other scientists who say, no, that guy is dumb. He's looking at the data wrong for everything that we know tells us that in fact, meat is way worse than soy for the environment. Okay. Um, it's, it, really, it's a, the, 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 the one authority fallacy. We, we pay attention to the preponderance of authority. 
the singular authority wow. is not it. Is that an actual logical fallacy in, that you learned about in school, or did you just make that up? I just said it. Dang. <laughs> well, we're not going to top that. Man, I'm having a good day on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think we got to wrap it up because that's a high point. Okay. All right. Well, if you have any questions for a further episode, uh, you can send them to askadamquestions at Gmail. Please send a video or audio file and do a little written description or summary of the question in the email. If you don't do one of those things, I probably won't even see it. Um, and will will we see you next week? I will see. This was fun. We'll see this how was it fun. goes. We will see how this performs on YouTube. To um, be fair, I'm here because Adam is working very, very hard. And so me being here helps, helps. him out. Yes, it does. So I, that's what I'm doing here. <laughs> um, so helpful. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, you know, if you want to send an email saying, hey, we love Lauren, you know, <laughs> keep her in the yes! show. Bring it. You can do that. Words of affirmation. Um, <laughs> but if you want to say the opposite, don't keep say it to anything. Yourself. Keep it to yourself. Because here's the thing. Like, if I'm, you don't have anything nice to say, don't, don't say, say anything it, at all. Which is something that the internet has forgotten. But <laughs> the other thing is that it's like, I'm going to know. If you don't like it, I'm going to see in the YouTube like metrics that you don't like it. So you don't have to say anything. Yeah. And we'll respond to that. I yes. don't need to be here. It's fine. <laughs> yes. Perfectly fine. Okay. So... Um, so thank you, honey. Of course. Um, we'll talk to you next time and, uh, you know, make good choices. 